The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Hey everybody, this is Dr. Doug Bursch and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. I've been pastoring for over 20 years and I've noticed something to be true. That a lot of the language we use when trying to grow the church is not helpful. It's not Christ-like and it's not encouraging pastors. On today's show, I'm going to talk about some of the fundamental problems with our church growth language and church growth culture, and I'm going to try to advocate for a better way that encourages more pastors and more ministers to go into the harvest field and to engage the Great Commission on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. Thanks for joining me on today's Fairly Spiritual Show. I'm Dr. Doug Bursch, a co-pastor at Evergreen Foursquare Church in Auburn, Washington. And what I'm going to talk about today will offend people in power. And uh, I might get some pushback, but that's okay because I don't really have much power here, so they can handle it. I want to talk about some of the fundamental problems in our church growth culture. Now, for some of you, you're like, church growth culture, I don't know what that is. And so you're going to be kind of listening in as a spectator. Others, you know what I'm talking about, and this is geared more to you, those who, especially pastors and leaders, who have been pastoring in this age of church growth culture, church growth uh, books, church growth conferences. There's just an entire culture that uh, if you pastor, you have to, you know, wade or weed your way through. I think it's wade your way through. Uh, But one of the things before we get into this, I would love to get feedback from you, particularly also pastors, where this connects with you. So you can text me at this number, 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. 360-818-4513. First, I want to start off with uh, a story from another culture or from another problem that relates to the church growth problem and culture. I was watching a documentary on the fact that Americans are getting fatter, and not just Americans are getting fatter, but the whole world is getting fatter. And one of the things they pointed out is um, since the 1970s, there has been a growth in the health industry. There are more health clubs than ever, more opportunities to work out, more books on every kind of exercise, or there's more diet books. There are so many books out there, so many um, (laughs) places you can work out, so many places you can avoid working out at. There's more knowledge in the schools. There's more of a push to, we need to not be fat, we need to be healthy. Uh, But what they pointed out is, as these um, classes, as these uh, uh, health centers are popping up, as this awareness is popping up, it is not decreasing the weight of Americans are the weight in the world. Uh, our weight just keeps going up. So there's not a correlation. We have this whole industry, billion-dollar industry on being healthy, and the fruit of that billion-dollar industry is people are heavier than ever. So in that documentary, they say, well, maybe the issue isn't what we think it is. 
maybe we're making it about the wrong thing. We're focusing all our energy on the wrong thing. And, and what they point out there is what we've done in our culture is we've said the reason people are fat is we're not exercising enough. Uh, we're not getting out and working out. We're, we're, we're gluttons. And we put all of the focus on the individual. If the individual just does a better job and works out more and tries to eat the right foods, they'll be fine. Uh, but what they point out is the main reason Americans are getting fatter and the world's getting fatter, it's how we process our food. It's the sugar we put in our food, the kinds of sugar we put in our food, that there is something happening in our food supply across the board that is making us fatter. And if we don't deal with that side of the equation, it won't help. I mean, you can work out all you want. <clears throat> you can work out all you want, but if you don't uh, have the right food coming in, uh, that's just not going to to cut it. But we don't talk about this bigger issue of uh, the food that's being processed and the food industry and the kind of stuff they're selling us because that goes against that financial bottom line. And whenever you go after corporate America or corporations, then there's a pushback. So we make it all about individual responsibility. So the people in power sell you garbage food that makes you fat. And then they say, the reason you're fat, it's your fault. You're eating too much food. You're not working out enough. When the bigger issue is the food that is being presented to us in our culture. So you say, well, what does food have to do with church growth? Well, I see the same idea here, that the church growth culture has grown the industry. There's conferences and books and experts who every day uh, they post something on how to grow your church. You can invite them in to be experts. They can assess your church. They're brought into denominations. They're given leadership positions. We have a growth, this exponential growth in the church growth movement, in experts, in advice, in systems, in programs to grow your church. At the same time, the American church is declining. So that alone should just trouble us. And, I, and I'm not saying that there's not good things from these church growth books and conferences and speakers, and I'm not saying that they have bad motives, that they're just out there to get your money. I assume that they have good motives and good reasons for doing what they're doing. But we have to come to this reality We've increased our church growth literature, our church growth conferences, our church growth experts, and the fruit of it is the church is declining. It's not working. So maybe we're not looking at the right things. And here's the real struggle. The more the church declines, the more there's going to be a clamoring for church growth experts, because if your church is declining, your council's like, man, you know, we gotta, we gotta grow. So let's find someone who can show us how to grow. Well, there's more and more churches out there that are declining. So there's gonna be more and more of a need for an expert to come in and say, this is what you need to grow. So as the problem grows, the experts will grow, but it doesn't mean the problem will be solved. So that's where I start with this whole process, that we need to look at that big picture. Uh, here's another big picture problem. Uh, right now, we have it where fewer, or is it lesser? Lesser or fewer? Yeah, the grammarians out there, you can fight over this. But not as many pastors are going into the pastorate. Not as many Christians are becoming pastors or ministry leaders or desiring to start churches, plant churches, or take over churches. Why is that? Why is another one of the fruits of the church growth industry the fact that there are uh, not as many pastors willing to become pastors, not as many people willing to stay in the pastorate, not as when they graduate from Bible college, they don't want to take over a church. They don't want to plant a church. They don't want to be a part of these negative statistics. Why is that? What is happening? And I think all of these things are tied to the fact that we are focusing in on the wrong 
things. And I'm just going to go through uh, several areas here, and I don't know if they're all in the, in the right order. In fact, I know they're not in the right order, but I want to just passionately describe some of the fundamental problems I see with the church growth industry and what we can do to fix it. So first, the language we use matters, and our church growth culture has had us adopt some language that just isn't right. I was at, uh, I was listening to uh, some leaders talk about some dynamics in my denomination, and uh, I began to hear this term. They were talking about how many churches had been closed or how many churches were staying open uh, or how many churches were being planted. And they used language like this. They'd say, we have successful churches and failed churches. The failed churches were the churches that had closed. The successful churches were the ones that hadn't closed. And, and I don't think there was an intentionality of even really thinking about what was being said. But in this call... Uh, where I heard leaders in my movement talk about the churches in their movement, they repeatedly used these terms. There were successful churches and failed churches. And they defined failed churches as a church plant that had existed for five years and then had to close its doors, or a church that had gone for 20 years and had to close its doors, that any church that closed was a failed church, and those that opened and stayed opened were successful churches. I believe that logic is fundamentally flawed, and it's not uh, biblical. And I need to push back at that. And some people might say, well, you're making too much of this, but the language we use matters. And this is one of the fundamental problems of our church growth success culture. We make analytics about what is successful and what is a failure, and then we just use that language. A successful church is one that's growing at a certain rate that moves past the 99 number or the 150 number or the 200 number, the 299 number. A successful church is a church that plants other churches. A failing church is a church that stays the same size or a church that doesn't plant other churches or a church that eventually has to close. And we use that language, success and failure. Now, those terms, success and failure, might work in a non-Christian context, but they're not biblical in a Christian context. They're just not right. We cannot judge success and failure by those uh, numbers alone. I, it reminds me of this, and some people, as I even say this, others say, well, why can't you? You know, a healthy church is a growing church, and, you know, unhealthy churches are also growing churches. You, you just can't use those, those numbers. You just can't use those measurements. It, 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 flat out, there, there are some incredibly well-run genuine, wonderful large churches. And there's some terrible large churches that are growing right now as we speak that shouldn't even be open. And there are some terrible small churches that should be closed. And there are some wonderful small churches as well. Using that language that a church is somehow a success or a failure based on these limited church growth optics is just simply wrong. And I'm going to get into much more detail on this, but we need to take a quick break. All right, so I'm going to get into some stuff here, and this show is a little different than other shows. We have, this is our Wednesday podcast, but we have a Friday edition on the radio, and we're talking about a lot of things that other shows don't talk about. Uh, so if you believe this has value and you want it to continue, particularly our radio show, then could you please donate? Go to fairlyspiritual.org and donate today. Fairlyspiritual.org. Also, I'd love to get a text from you. The number is 
4513. That's 360-818-4513. And you can personally support me and the ministry I do by picking up my book, The Community of God, A Theology of the Church from a Reluctant Pastor. That's The Community of God. Thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for your support. Okay, uh, so I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to get into this. The language we use matters. And I was in a meeting where uh, they were talking about successful churches are churches that are growing, and unsuccessful churches are churches that are not growing, that they have the same number of people, are they even declining. Successful churches are churches that don't close down. Churches that close are failures. Uh, the problem with that language is it's just not biblical. I've even thought in, in the Trump era, there's been some pastors of really, really large churches who I believe are supporting some terrible things that are being done by our president. And those churches are thriving and growing, and I would not necessarily call those churches successful in the eyes of the gospel. So size is just not an issue of success. Uh, healthy things grow, unhealthy things grow. Cancer grows. Flowers grow. Growth is not an indicator in and of itself, and closing something down isn't an indicator in and of itself. We even know that Jesus visited cities, and some cities accepted him, and some cities rejected him, and we certainly didn't say, well, Jesus, you were a failure in Capernaum, or Bethsaida. Or was it Bethsaida that he was a failure, but Capernaum, he was a success? Yeah, Capernaum, he was a success because he had large crowds, but in Bethsaida, not so much. No, we don't say that. Jesus was faithful to do what the Father told him to do, and some people accepted it and some people rejected it. We see that with the ministry of the Apostle Paul. In some communities, they strung him up and beat him and kicked him out of the city half dead. In other cities, he was seen like to be a god. Is he successful in the cities where he's seen to be a god? Is he unsuccessful in the cities where he's cast out? No, we don't use those indicators. They're not biblical. You can grow something and be a terrible person, or you can grow something and be a great person. Or God can grow something and be a great person, right? Or you can be a great person, and God is always great. People think this is a little thing, but it's a huge thing. And the language we use, we imply that. We imply that uh, that's the indicator we can use. If, if something is growing in numbers, it's clearly successful. Even if the pastor who's leading it has little character... Even if the actual fruit of those large expressions are the Christians who are coming out of those expressions, aren't any more sanctified than anyone else. It's just not a biblical indicator. It reminds you of this story. I had a friend of mine who uh, planted a church, started a church, and I don't know how long the church went. I think it went like seven years, and eventually he had to close it down. So he closed the church. And he went to a, a denominational leader, and the denominational leader said this maybe you're not senior pastor material. Or maybe you just weren't called to be a senior pastor. My friend had pastored this church for seven years, but because it was seen as a failure in the eyes of someone who was looking at statistics that meant nothing, he was able to look a pastor who spent seven years of his life as a senior pastor, investing in people, loving people. And by the way, when you church plant, you're not getting hardly any money you're just doing this for the kingdom. He had done that, and the fruit of it was a leader to dare to say to him that maybe you're not senior pastor material. That's filthy. That's not a Christ-like response to someone laying down their life and investing in the kingdom. 
I think that's just wicked to look a pastor in the eye and say, you know, you've been pastoring for seven years, but maybe you're not, you know, senior pastor material because your church failed. And calling a church that had been in existence for seven years a failure. Let me tell you this as clear as I can. Everything we do has value in the doing. So if you've pastored a church for one year or two years or five years or 50 years, every moment you were open has value. There's no failure in that. And sometimes because of life circumstances, some things grow, some things don't. And to put that on the pastor of our, the people who are successful are the ones who grow and those who don't are failures is filthy. And it's all over our denominational structures. It oozes into every one of our conversations. We platform the successful churches, which are the largest churches. And I've been around enough pastors. I used to do a radio show for five years. I've interviewed hundreds of pastors. I interact with pastors. Pastors of larger churches are not any more moral than pastors of smaller churches. They don't have any more wisdom than pastors of smaller churches. They just pastor larger churches. That's the only indicator. They may have a gifting for a certain size of church. And I'm not talking about gifting like a better gifting or more spiritual gifting. They might just do a really good job of organizing a lot of people. But there's nothing in that where they're closer to God. They have more of a right to be heard, more of a right to make decisions. It's filthy that if you look around in some structures in the room, uh, those making, who are making decisions are the pastors of the largest expression churches, especially when a denomination is supposed to represent their pastors. Now, I know as I say this, people go, well, that's just the rantings of someone who pastors an insignificant, unsuccessful church. Now, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just advocating for the majority of churches. And 95% of churches are 200 people or less. The majority of pastors are faithfully serving in environments that others call not successful. The language we use matters. See, to me, here's the problem. We do need to advance the kingdom of God. And I do care about more people becoming Christians. But the way we're tackling this is we're putting the weight upon pastors and we're saying, this is what you need to be. You need to be this kind of church, this kind of church that grows and expands and plants other churches. We set up this model of the perfect church and we say, if you're a successful pastor, if you're a successful church, you have to be like that. And what that is doing is discouraging the majority of pastors. It's not only discouraging pastors, it's keeping other pastors from going into the ministry. So that we're also seeing Uh, that not as many pastors are going into the ministry because of these expectations on what ministry is. I believe if we want to change these dynamics, we need to begin to encourage leaders. Instead of trying to have people measure up to some standard that someone has decided is successful, that's rooted in how many people are in the seats and how many churches that pastor has planted. If we want a biblical model, because here's the biblical model, you and I are supposed to do what the Holy Spirit has called us to do. And everything we do to advance the kingdom has value. And it's our job to encourage people who are advancing the kingdom and to tell them that what they are doing has value. 
We are called to encourage leaders to embrace the calling that God has put on their heart and to be able to be with them in such a way that we are safe so that if they share their heart of what they want to do, that we're not going to come in there and say, that's not successful, that's not of value. Until you're this model, until you're this kind of church, you're not really what you're supposed to be. Until we get, someone can be, uh, it can be a safe enough environment where they know if they share their vision, we can say, I want to partner with you. I want to believe that God has given you that vision, and whatever I can do to resource that vision and to encourage you as a leader, I will do that. But I'm not going to put expectations upon you to be someone else. It's like a healthy family. A healthy family allows every kid to be themselves. An unhealthy family says everyone has to live like the their oldest sister or the older brother. You all have to be like him, like the perfect kid who does everything the way we want them to do that. That is an unhealthy family. It's unhealthy denominations. It's an unhealthy view of the kingdom of God. The majority of churches in America right now do not look like the anomalies that we prop up as what it means to be successful. See, I think in spending le- we need to spend less time focusing in on numbers and more time on encouraging leaders. Because the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. And I believe one of the, you know, I believe this would cause revival. I do believe this would cause church growth. As far as amount of people coming into the kingdom of God, not individual church growth. That's such a selfish thing anyway. We just count church growth by what your little church did or your church did versus the larger expression of the kingdom of God. But if we wanted the larger expression of the kingdom of God to grow, then we would encourage more leaders to go into the harvest field. And we would encourage more leaders to stay in the harvest field because we would value their expressions instead of belittling their expressions or judging their expressions or making them to to defend against their expression every year they're in ministry. If we truly want to advance the kingdom of God, we need more harvesters. We need more leaders. We need more workers. And we need to encourage different expressions of the kingdom of God. The harvest is ripe and the workers are few. That means we need more workers more expressions, more freedom to do what God has called us to do. We need safe environments where people can articulate their passion instead of have to continually defend their passion against the model of success in our culture. We need to resource their God-given dream. And then what, what do we do is we help people manage expectations. Because God might put a calling on a leader where you can say, you know, that kind of calling means your church is not going to be very big. It's, you're, you're probably going to be bivocational your whole life. Are you okay with that? Can you live with that? And if they can live with that, then release them and leave them alone. And you might say, well, that kind of church, you know, you're going to stay around 100 people. Are, are you okay with that? And if they're okay with that, they're being faithful to a calling God has put on their heart and we leave them alone. We encourage them, but we don't continually judge them for not measuring up to what we want them to measure up to. And I'll give an example of this. I've seen this, and it it just breaks my heart. So uh, in in my denomination, there's a lot of people, and I, I love the denomination I'm in, but this just happens in any culture. But there's many pastors who started churches. So a husband and a wife, they started a church. And when you start a church, you put almost all your energy, your money, your resources into it. So they faithfully started a church. And their church didn't grow to be some mega thing, some big thing. It's just a small church. It's just a normal-sized church of less than 200 people or 120 people. It's just, that's what it's been. And instead of just rejoicing in what they've done, every conference they go to, you know, every book in our culture, everything that's said on the radio or, or what you know, presented in our, our Christian magazines is, you're not successful until you grow that church to be something else. 
You need to keep growing. You can't just be around 120. You got to go to 200, 250, and 300. You're not doing what God's called you to do. So we just come in and we put this this discontent that you're just not doing what you should do. And, And in that process, these couples are laying down their lives. They're not making as much money as other pastors of larger churches. They're not receiving any invites to speak at denominational conferences or to be in leadership positions because they just have a normal sized church. Yet continually, they're having to justify the size of their church. And, and they're not being disgruntled. They're listening to the other expressions. They're taking notes. They're trying to implement things. But the reality is their church has still stayed around the same size. And instead of being celebrated that they've pastored for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, faithfully that church, they're constantly put in a place of defensiveness. And to make matters worse, when they're older, then they're pressured to retire earlier so they can release the next generation to do what they're doing. And they're portrayed as selfish because maybe they don't want to retire right away. This whole model, this whole structure, this whole idea of we have to have people aligned to the perfect church, and the perfect church is always growing, and the perfect church is always planting other churches, is actually becoming an accusation against faithful people. Because these faithful people should be celebrated. And then they live with the realities and the limitations of a church that does that. They live with the limitations of a church that's 125 people. They live with the limitations of a church that is pastored by a 60-year-old or a 65-year-old. And that's okay because the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. Their desire to go into the harvest is not a liability to the kingdom of God. Their desire to faithfully pastor a church year after year after year without the kind of growth that other people expected is not a liability. It's not a failing. That's a sign of tremendous character. And their desire to minister when they're 60 or 65 or 70 isn't selfish. They just see the harvest is ripe and the workers are few. And maybe if you pastor a church like that, it'll decline and that church will have to eventually close. But that's not the problem. The problem is we need more workers to enter the harvest field. We need more people willing to plant church expressions that aren't successful in the eyes of the world. And for them to be celebrated. To be celebrated that, hey, this couple started a church and there's about 40 people there. And praise God, they're pastoring 40 people. By the way, it's usually not the same 40. Regardless of the size of your church, people come and people go. There's churches that are at 5,000 that have thousands of people come and go every other year, and positively and negatively. And there's smaller churches that people flow through them as well. And the kingdom of God is advanced. It matters how we talk about these things. We need to encourage leaders. We need to those who are out there right now who are ministering we need to champion the fact they're, that they're ministering and not spend you know, day after day and week after week and conference after conference telling them one more thing they're doing wrong. I, I was just thinking about these pastors I know who've been faithfully pastoring for 30 years or 35 years, and every year of their life they had to defend the worth of their ministry. 
First, they had to defend the fact that they weren't growing like other churches. They had to defend the fact that they hadn't planted other churches. They had to defend the fact that they weren't living up to the models and expectations around them. Even though, because their church was a certain size, they were not allowed to be put in leadership positions. They weren't given an equal voice as other people. And they had to go to conferences where people continually talked down to them about what they were doing wrong. And they kept a good heart and a pure heart. And they tried whatever they could to get the best out of the teachings that were given them. And now they're ministering when they're 60 or 65 years old and people are saying, boy, it's selfish of you to not retire. It's all about the next generation. It's not one generation against the next. We can have these people continue to pastor until they're 70. Or we, you know, the Seahawks have an old coach. It's not about age. If you're called to coach, coach. If you're called to pastor, pastor. But the harvest is ripe and, and the workers are few. And someone staying in a church till they're 60 or 65 is not hurting the kingdom. What's hurting the kingdom is we have such strong, harsh expectations of pastors that pastors are afraid to even become pastors. Yes, I'm passionate about this. Yes, I'm not going to qualify these words and people can tell me what I'm wrong and I need to see the other side of this and that. I spent my whole ministry life seeing the other side, having pastors of churches that don't remotely look like mine tell me how to pastor my church. And I've politely done whatever I can to get the most out of these teachings, hearing the same people over and over again tell me the same things so that I can be like them. I don't want to be like them. I want to be like what God has called me to be. And I don't want you to be like my church or someone else's church. I want you to feel free to pursue the God-given calling that is in your heart. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I believe you can freely go out and do whatever expression God has put on your heart. And you just have to live the reality of it might mean you don't make a lot of money. might mean no one knows you or understands you or people scratch their head when they see what you're doing. But you just be faithful and minister in such a way that more leaders are brought into the kingdom of God. Even our concept of leadership development, people say, okay, yeah, Doug, I agree. It's about leaders. We need to, to develop leaders. But even in our leadership development, is it is often so paternalistic. It's, you know what, you're not a very good leader, and so we need to resource you, because if we resource you, then your church will grow. It's still based on this filthy church growth premise. We're going to coach you, we're going to lead you, we're going to help you, uh, because then your church will grow, because that's what matters. Until it grows, until it reaches these expectations, you're a failure. So we're going to do leadership development. Leadership development that comes to people and says, you're a lousy leader, you're not doing it right, that's why you're failing, that's not leadership development. That's legalism. Christian leadership development is this. We believe that God is speaking to you and that God is leading you and that God has given you a vision. What can we do to partner with that vision? What do you need? Do you feel a little weak in this area? We'll help you. Do you need more information and education in this area? will help you because we believe in you and we believe in your calling. Yeah, I, I know this sounds strong. But I've been in environments where I hear leaders talk about the majority of the churches they're leading as failures. They'll just say things like, you know, the majority of pastors don't want to change and you know, the majority of the churches are in decline. Only those exceptional pastors are able to break past these limitations, only those exceptional pastors, and maybe they can mention the name of someone who's in the room that they consider to be exceptional because they have a large expression of the kingdom. But, you know, the majority of pastors, we're just doing it wrong. I don't believe that God hates the majority of his church. 
And we've spent so much time talking about what the church should be that we're not loving the church that is. And I don't believe that pastors that are pastoring right now in this generation are less moral, less integrous, less passionate about the kingdom than those who pastored 50 years ago or 100 years ago when it was easier to grow a church. I don't think they've all compromised now and they're just a bunch of fools who don't know what they're doing, but in the past they really knew how to follow God. I just think we're in a different season. So if you're listening right now and you've been attacked, I'm sorry. If people have come after you and said your expression doesn't have value, I'm sorry. You've been sinned against. If you've gone to meetings and denominational meetings and conferences where people have looked down upon the expression of your church because it's 50 people or 100 people or 200 people, I'm sorry that's been done to you. You've been sinned against. Because if it's the prophetic word of God, it's to build up and encourage and edify the body of Christ. And if it's not building you up, encouraging you, and edifying you, then it's not right. But I want to tell you what you do has value, and it matters. And you and I know that you can affect one person who can affect thousands of people. I know the church I have doesn't mean much to most people. I'm just a guy with a lot of opinions who pastors a very small church. But I know the lives that have been transformed in that church, and I know even from our church, there's pastors who've risen up who are doing these amazing expressions. But you know what? I don't have to defend my work based on that either. I've just tried to be faithful. I don't tear down the faithful expressions of larger churches. I don't say mega churches are bad and small churches are good. That's not what I say. But I think a person who's been gifted and called to pastor a large church should be supported but they should be supported just as much and not more than someone who's going to pastor a small church. And someone who's been pastoring for 20 years is no more successful than someone who pastors for five years. There's value in being obedient in the doing. I want you to think about this. What kind of language are you using? Sometimes we've adopted that self-hate for us and Every year of our ministry, we feel defeated and discouraged. What a filthy thing that so many pastors, hundreds and hundreds of pastors, every single year feel bad about themselves because there's a Christian culture that says, you're not doing it right. You're a failure. That's not how God motivates people. That's not good parenting. You don't motivate your kids by making them feel like failures every year of their life unless they measure up to some standard. This stuff matters. Much of the church growth movement stuff just needs to die. And instead of putting higher expectations on churches and higher assessments on churches and higher expectations on leaders and higher assessments on leaders, maybe let's just encourage the brethren. Let's encourage them and encourage more people to go on the harvest field. Wouldn't it be great if we had hundreds and thousands of more leaders just become pastors? And they didn't have to worry about justifying the fruit of their ministry. You know, the fruit, they got to be Christ-like, but they didn't have to justify whether people accepted it or rejected it. That if they wanted to meet in a house, that has value. If they wanted to meet on the street, that has value. If their church church grew to 20 people or 20,000, it had value. And we could say, well done. Let's welcome more people into the harvest field. That's what we're called to do. But I'm telling you right now, these expectations, this legalistic talk, the way we are saying this is the perfect kind of leader and the perfect kind of church, what it's doing is it's keeping people from going into the harvest field. It's discouraging leaders who are in the harvest field, and it's creating this hierarchy of the super spiritual great churches and pastors and the rest who don't have a voice. And it's wrong. 
we need to repent of that spirit and welcome the full expression of the body of Christ, the full expression of leadership in the church, because I know there are many more leaders who would go out into the harvest field if they didn't feel like they had to justify every single thing they do. All right, there you go. Well, thanks for listening to today's show. I'm going to have offended some people with this. It's not my heart. But if this reached your heart, could you support our ministry? Go to fairlyspiritual.org and donate so that we can have these kinds of shows on the radio. Although these ones, maybe I can't do on the radio yet, but I'll have them on Wednesday. You can go to fairlyspiritual.org. Also, please text me, 360-818-4513. That's 360-818-4513. Make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. And he loves you dearly. I will see you next time. Another-